It may surprise you to know that apart from the resurrection of Jesus, the miracle that I just read to you a few minutes ago about Jesus feeding the 5,000 is the only, only miracle the Lord did that is recorded in all four gospel accounts in the New Testament. The only miracle. And what makes this so interesting, so fascinating, is that the New Testament reveals that Jesus did an incredibly high number of miracles during his three-year ministry. While only about 35 of these miracles are recorded for us in the New Testament, we know that Jesus did many more miracles that were not recorded. And we know this because John in his gospel, John chapter 21 verse 25 says this, and there are also many other things which Jesus did, which if they were written in detail, I suppose that even the world itself would not contain the books which were written. In other words, John is saying that if everything that Jesus said and did while he was on earth, if all of that was written down in detail, there wouldn't be enough commentaries to contain them. There certainly wouldn't be. Now, in light of the fact that Jesus did so many miracles, doesn't it seem a bit surprising that the only miracle mentioned by all four gospel writers, as I said, apart from the miracle of our Lord's resurrection, is this story of Jesus multiplying five loaves of bread and two fish in order to feed thousands of people. So, the question that we're faced with is, why? Why, out of all the miracles that Jesus did, and as we said, he did many, why would God choose this one particular miracle to be mentioned by each gospel writer? And the answer is because there are valuable lessons revealed in and around this miracle that God wants his people to know. And so he included it four times in the New Testament so that we would not miss the important lessons so that we would be sure to get them. You see, although this incident appears to, to have a rather simple and straightforward storyline, I'm sure you've read it many times and it just seems, well, it's very straightforward. That Jesus performs a supernatural creative miracle of multiplying food to feed thousands of people. That's the storyline. But as one probes the story, as one goes deeper, as one compares what each gospel writer tells us took place, we discover some very important spiritual truths that make this miracle so important to us to understand these truths, to understand these lessons. And we know that there are important lessons to be learned from the story of this miracle because in John's account of this very incident, we read that Jesus purposely asked one of his apostles, Philip, a question about feeding this crowd that was designed to teach him as well as test him. Here's what we read in John chapter 6, verses 5 and 6. Therefore, Jesus, lifting up his eyes and seeing that a large crowd was coming to him, said to Philip, where are we to buy bread so that these may eat? And then John adds, this he was saying to test him, for he himself knew what he was intending to do. In other words, this miracle was done by Jesus in order to teach not only Philip, but all of the apostles, some very crucial truths about him and their relationship with him. 
And folks, that makes perfect sense, and I'll tell you why. Because in Matthew's account of the same event, he tells us that just prior to the feeding of this multitude, Jesus had heard the news that John the Baptist had been murdered by Herod. And therefore, with the death of John, the Lord knew that the time of his arrest and the time then of his crucifixion was getting closer. And as a result, a new emphasis was about to take place in Christ's ministry. No longer would his focus be on ministering to the vast multitude of people. That was changing. Instead of dealing just with large groups of people, he will now begin to pour his time, his energy, his life into privately training his chosen few disciples in order to prepare them to carry on ministry after he was gone. He knew that his death was coming up. He knew that he was going to return to heaven and these men needed to be trained and they needed to learn some important lessons. And that's precisely why we read at the beginning of Luke chapter 9 verse 10, the beginning of this passage in verse 10, when the apostles returned, they gave an account to him of all that they had done. Taking them with him, he withdrew by himself to a city called Bethsaida. Now, as you recall from our previous study of Luke chapter 9, I know it's been a few weeks, so let me remind you, Jesus had just recently sent out the 12 apostles on their first missionary journey, their first missions trip, their first taste of ministry without him being physically there. And he sent them into the region of Galilee where they were to visit the various villages, the various towns, hamlets. They were to preach the kingdom of God to the people. They were to cast out demons. They were to heal illnesses. And so putting Matthew's account and Luke's account of this incident together, we learned that coinciding with the news of John the Baptist's death was the return of the apostles from their recent missions trip. And note this, it's at this point, at this very point that Jesus decides to withdraw to a town called Bethsaida. Now, in the other gospel accounts, we read that Jesus withdrew by boat. He got into a boat and he went to a secluded spot on the Sea of Galilee, apparently not in the town of Bethsaida, because that would not be a secluded spot, but somewhere in the vicinity of Bethsaida, which was really a small fishing village on the northeast shore of the Sea of Galilee. It's right where on your maps where the Jordan River flows into the lake. It's called the Sea of Galilee, but it's really a lake. See, not only did the Lord withdraw from the crowd of people in order to privately personally reflect upon John's death and its implications for his own life and ministry and an upcoming death. But he also withdrew from the public's eye in order to concentrate on training his 12 apostles. And that's why Luke tells us that after the apostles had given Jesus this report of all that they had done on their missions trip, which by the way must have lasted several weeks, maybe even more, perhaps a month or so, because the Galilee area is not a small area. The Lord then took them with him as he withdrew to a secluded spot near Bethsaida. Now, as the verses that follow reveal, Jesus withdrew to the secluded spot on the Sea of Galilee along with his apostles in order to be alone with them so that he could concentrate on 
discipling them, on training them away from the huge throng of people that usually followed him and were very demanding of his time and attention. So at the very beginning of this new phase of his ministry, Jesus now has some important lessons to teach his 12 apostles. And that's precisely why God has included the story of this miracle in his word four times so that we don't miss these lessons. So we don't miss these important truths because he's still intent, folks, on teaching these same lessons to us, his present day followers. So while the miracle of feeding thousands of people, it was a remarkable, stupendous miracle. It being, as one scholar said, the largest work of divine creative power since creation week and the restructuring of the earth after the flood, nonetheless it was intended by Jesus not simply as a display of his divine creative power. It certainly was that, but not only that, it was also to teach his followers several key truths designed to make them better and more effective servants. And folks, that's why the recording of this miracle of the 5,000s and the lessons that Jesus gave to his disciples in the context of this miracle, that's why they're important for us to understand. Just as the Lord's first followers needed to know these truths in order to become the kind of servants he wanted them to become, so we too, we too need to learn these truths to become the kind of servants he wants us to be. So the point of our passage in Luke is not only to see the Lord's extraordinary demonstration of his creative powers in the feeding of the 5,000. And by the way, it was more than 5,000. The text specifically says 5,000 men. That does not include women and children who were there. So perhaps it was 10, even 15,000. So that was a remarkable miracle. But The point of this passage is also to teach us valuable lessons that will make our service for him more effective, more Christ-honoring. So as the passage unfolds, we see that the first key truth that Jesus taught his disciples was that, number one, effective servants take time off for rest. Effective servants take time off for rest. We begin with verse 10. When the apostles returned, they gave an account to him of all that they had done. Taking them with him, he withdrew by himself to a city called Bethsaida. Now, as we've already noted, when the apostles returned from their missionary journey, they reported to Jesus all that they had done in the weeks and perhaps even months that they had been ministering all over the area of the Galilee. And upon hearing their reports, as each one would have reported back to the Lord, Jesus then decides to leave the area where he had been staying, probably it was in the town of Capernaum, and withdraw with his disciples to a more secluded place along the Sea of Galilee near a town, as we said, by the name of Bethsaida. Now, in the statement of verse 10, notice Luke simply tells us the facts. Nothing more than the facts. The apostles returned to Jesus. They reported to him about the work they had done. And then he left with them for Bethsaida. But Luke says nothing about why. Why Jesus withdrew with his apostles to Bethsaida. However, the gospel writer Mark, he tells us why in his accounts of this same incident, why Jesus withdrew with his men. He tells us in Mark 6.31, he said to them, Come away by yourselves to a lonely place and rest a while. For there were many people coming and going and they did not even have time to eat. Now notice, notice that this verse in Mark reveals that Jesus left the more congested area 
the more populated area of Capernaum for the more remote and unpopulated area of Bethsaida because he wanted his disciples to simply get some rest. Remember, our Lord's disciples, the apostles, had just returned, as I've said, from this lengthy missionary ministry. It took time. They were busy, working nonstop. As I said, the Galilee area is not a small area. They've been busy traveling all over to the various villages, towns, hamlets, teaching the people, casting out demons, healing the sick. And now they had finished their work and these guys needed a break in order to get some much needed rest. But they weren't able to get a break as long as they remained in Capernaum. Notice once again what Mark tells us in this verse. He says, For there were many people coming and going and they did not even have time to eat. In other words, even after their missionary work was finished, they didn't get a chance to rest and relax because there were so many people coming to Jesus and to them who were in need of their ministry. They were so busy trying to meet the needs of all these people that they didn't even have time to eat a meal. Now that's busy. They didn't even have time to just take a break and go have a meal. And that's precisely why Jesus instructs them to get away with him from the busy area of Capernaum to the quieter, more secluded spot near Bethsaida where they could just rest for a little while. See, not only did Jesus want to spend time alone with the apostles in order to teach them some important discipleship training, but one of the important discipleship lessons, note this, that he wanted them to understand was this. Those who serve him need to be sure to take some breaks from the intensity of ministry in order to rest, relax, and just unwind from the pressures and demands of serving others. You see, Jesus understood better than anyone else that ministering to others can be very, very draining, both emotionally physically as well as spiritually. He knew how challenging it was to continually give out spiritual truth to others. And on top of this, he knew better than anyone else the strains of trying to meet the ongoing needs of people. They were always coming to him. He knew that ministry also involves satanic oppression because the devil works especially hard at tempting and trying to discourage those who are serious about serving the Lord. And Jesus understood all about the heavy demands, the heavy pressures of serving others. This is why, folks, he often retreated by himself to spend time alone with the Father in prayer. The Lord being fully human as well as fully divine, but he, as a human, he needed a break from the intensity of ministering to others and be strengthened and to be refreshed by having fellowship with the Father. Jesus needed this. One of my favorite verses in all of Scripture is Mark chapter 1 verse 35. It says, In the early morning while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went away to a secluded place and was praying there. Now, if you were to read the verses leading up to the statement about Jesus getting up early in the morning to spend time alone in prayer with the Father, you would discover that the day before, just the day prior to this, had been a very tiring, a very exhausting day. It had been a day of non-stop ministry. In the morning, Jesus taught in the local synagogue 
This would have been in Capernaum. And while he was teaching, there was an outburst of a demon-possessed man. And Jesus cast the demon out of that man. That had to be emotionally draining just by itself, let alone his teaching. So in the morning, he's teaching. He's got a demon-possessed man that he's dealing with. Then... In the afternoon, when most preachers like to just rest and relax, perhaps even take a little nap, Jesus didn't do that. Instead, he went to the home of Simon Peter and discovered that his mother-in-law, who was living there, she had a life-threatening illness, and he healed her. So he couldn't rest. He ministered to them. And then he spent the evening healing Many people, their illnesses, casting out demons from others. It said the whole area brought people to him. So he's working from morning all the way into the late evenings. Morning until evening. He's busy serving others. But instead of sleeping in the next day, Jesus knew what he needed most. And that was fellowship with the Father. And so rising early in the morning, while it was still dark outside and others were still sleeping, Jesus then left the house the house where he was staying in, and he retreats to a quiet place to spend time alone with the Father in prayer. See, Jesus understood the hectic demands of ministry and therefore the great need to take a break from people in order to spend time alone in prayer with the Father. And so because he understood the unique challenges of service for him, Jesus now tells his apostles that busy servants need some time off. They need time to just rest and relax and unwind. Or as we might put it today, they needed time to recharge their batteries. Now folks, this is a critically, critically important truth for all believers to grasp. Not just those who are in full-time Christian service. Since all of us, if you know Christ, all of us are called to serve Him in some capacity. You've been given a spiritual gift and probably a group of spiritual gifts to serve Christ. It's an important lesson to learn because those Christians who never take any time off from the work of ministering to others often find themselves becoming stale and becoming dry in their service and they tend to find themselves losing their joy. Why? Well, because ironically, they become so busy serving the needs of others that they fail to make sure that their own spiritual needs are being met by spending time alone with the Lord in prayer and Bible study. In addition, feeling that there's never enough time during the day to get all their work done. Sometimes they stay up late into the night doing work and then they get an inadequate amounts of sleep. And that's a spiritual disaster just waiting to happen because when you combine a neglect of your daily quiet time, which all of us should be having a time in the Word and prayer, but when you neglect that daily quiet time with the Lord, with sleep deprivation, not only will you soon be out of touch with the Lord, but you'll find that you can't think clearly about anything And that's when little issues begin to look like full-scale major problems. And the people that God has sent you to, to love and serve and care for, they start to annoy you. They start to irritate you. They become an inconvenience to you. They become a nuisance to you. Listen, if that describes you, then it's time for you to take a break from whatever ministry you're involved in. You need to get away And just relax for a while. Take a vacation. Get some much needed rest. Go on a retreat from the pressing demands of others. Read a good book. Turn off your cell phone so that you can't be reached. 
Don't look at your emails for a while. Just spend some time soaking up the Word of God and praying. And then, then come back refreshed and invigorated in your walk with the Lord and your ministry. That's what effective servants do. So that they keep being effective and not get burned out. You see, if you don't do this and you continue ministering to others without ever taking a break, you'll be in danger of becoming what someone has called a holy workaholic, which isn't holy at all. You'll become so exhausted that you'll end up despising and resenting ministry, especially ministry in the church. Because, listen, local churches, once they find a willing worker, they're notorious for overworking them to the point of wearing them out because they have so few people who will just step in to serve. It is a proven statistic that in most local churches, about 20% of the people are doing most of the work and 80% are letting them do most of the work. And often these overworked church workers, they come to a point where they never want to serve in the local church again. They do get burned out. And that's the reason someone came up with this little poem. Mary had a little lamb, t'was given her to keep, but then it joined the local church and died for lack of sleep. So, you don't want that. You don't want that at all. We are not Mary's little lambs, but we are the Lord's sheep, and he is our shepherd. And this is why in that precious Psalm 23, which is about being one of the Lord's sheep and about the Lord being our wonderful shepherd, he says in verse 2, he makes me to lie down in green pastures. That's what our shepherd makes us do. He wants us at times to lie down and relax But even though scripture tells us that Jesus made sure that he personally took some time to be alone with the Father and that he taught his disciples that they were to do the same thing, quite frankly, there are some busy believers who just have a hard time doing this. They have a hard time resting. They have a hard time relaxing. In fact, they are so conditioned by the hectic pace of the world that we live in that they feel guilty about relaxing, as if relaxing wasn't spiritual. Because why? It benefits them. And their feeling is that anything that benefits them, that's self-centered. That's wrong. But listen, they're wrong. The ultimate purpose for relaxing isn't to pamper yourself. It's not to develop self-indulgent habits of laziness. The ultimate purpose for taking a relaxing break from the heavy demands of ministry is, note this, it's to recover. It's to recover from all the stress, all the strain of the work so that you'll be able to come back stronger than ever and continue your ministry refreshed and invigorated. This is why at Lakeside we give our staff sabbaticals. They get time off. This is why John Stott, that great Anglican preacher, he said what saved him in his ministry at the beginning, he was so overwhelmed with the work that he decided he needed to take one day a month. He just got away from London and all the pressures of the ministry at his busy church, All Souls Church in London. And someone opened their home to him and John Stott just spent the day in prayer and Bible study and some other things he needed to do. He was refreshed. And this is why that great man, Robert Chapman, when he moved to his ministry in a, in a city in England, He purchased a home that was large enough that he could house missionaries and tired full-time Christian workers just to give them a break. 
the man was so concerned that they be ministered to that he told them when they retired every evening, he said, leave your shoes out for me and I'll polish them. I'll clean them. And when people protested, oh no, no, you can't do that. He said, this is the closest thing we have to washing the feet of disciples. I will take care of your shoes. Don't worry about anything. He'd come, he'd wake them up in the morning. He'd have a fireplace for them. They'd have breakfast prepared. They could stay there as long as they wanted without having to pay because he understood the need for a break in ministry. You see, the most selfless thing a Christian servant can do is to take some time off so that in the long run, you'll be a better servant to others. One of the most important things I learned when I was a distance runner is that days off from running and exercise, they are not wasted days. They're days of recovery. So that the muscles, they get a much needed rest to come back stronger and and healthier When you run again. And what's true in the physical realm is also true in the spiritual realm. All servants of the Lord need a time to recover from the intense demands of ministry. In order to come back healthy and restored to full strength. This is the very principle folks behind the Sabbath day that God instituted in the Old Testament. God established one day out of the week for the simple purpose of having us rest, of not having the normal workload. I mean, the Pharisees perverted this so that you couldn't do anything. But the point that God was making in giving us the Sabbath is don't do your normal workload. You can do other things, but just take a break from the strains of your normal workload. Listen, if taking a break from service every once in a while wasn't a spiritual, godly concept, then Jesus would never have told his disciples, come away and rest a while. You see, if you don't do this, then you're going to end up suffering from some form of spiritual exhaustion, and, and you'll be no good to anyone. Years ago, Evangelist Vance Havner caught the gist of our Lord's words to his tired disciples to come apart and rest a while by coming up with this little quip. He said, if you don't come apart and rest a while, you'll simply come apart. That's true. But having said all of this about the need for servants to have some time off from serving others, I realize that there are some Christians who don't need a break from ministry because they have no ministry to take a break from. If that's you, then you need to get active in serving the Lord. You're out of the will of God. You're in sin if you don't have some ministry, some service to others. You see, your lack of activity, that's the very reason that others are overworked. They find themselves overworked in ministry because there's no one to step in and relieve them. So, find a ministry that appeals to you and get involved. Or find some people who need your help and serve them by helping them. And when we have our community groups, and that's what we're going to call them, these small groups, community groups, when we have them up and running, join one of them so you'll learn about the needs of others. And that's when you'll know how you can meet those needs and serve them. See, when you're a Christian, service isn't an option. It's not an option. The only question is where and who you will serve, not should you serve. But for those of you who are so active that you are in danger of growing stale and worn out, then do what Jesus told his disciples to do. Come away by yourselves to a lonely place and just rest a while. Take a break 
The Lord is sovereign. His work will not fail without you. So take some time off and get some much needed rest and refreshment. Now that was the plan. That was the plan. The Lord and his apostles were going to take a break, a vacation from their work. But as Luke continues telling us what happened, we discovered that they were not able to get some rest at this time because here's what we read happened next, the beginning of verse 11. But the crowds were aware of this and followed him. Now Luke tells us that the crowds of people who had been with Jesus, had been with the apostles in Capernaum, when they became aware that Jesus was leaving, they followed him. Our gospel writer Mark gives us even more details. He tells us in Mark 6.33, the people saw them going and many recognized them and ran there together on foot from all the cities and got there ahead of them. Now from Matthew's gospel, we learn that Jesus departed with his disciples by getting into a boat. I've already mentioned that to you. We learned that from Matthew. He got into a boat on the Sea of Galilee and he headed towards Bethsaida. But what Mark is telling us here in, in his accounts is that when the people saw Jesus and they saw his disciples leaving by boat, some of them just took off walking around the lake towards Bethsaida while others started actually running. And as they walked and ran, they were joined by other people from the various seaside villages and they all headed to where Jesus was going and they moved so fast that they got there ahead of him. Ken Hughes describes the scene this way. He says it was about four miles to Bethsaida by direct sail and about eight miles by foot. So when the people saw the apostles set sail toward Bethsaida, the young and the strong began to charge north along the edge of the lake. Hundreds more from the lakeshore hamlets probably joined them, calling to their friends to come along so that finally thousands converged on the apostles' retreat site in noisy, jostling expectations, so much for some time away. And we know that there were thousands there because Jesus fed 5,000 men, plus who knows how many women and children were there. So thousands converged on that area. Now, why were the people so eager to be with Jesus? Well, the Apostle John, in his account of this incident, tells us, John chapter 6, verse 2, a large crowd followed him because they saw the signs which he was performing on those who were sick. So what we're being told here is that most of these people were just thrill seekers. That's all. Having seen the miracles of healing that Jesus had already done, they wanted more. They want to see more of these miracles. So they ran to where they knew his boat would be landing because they just couldn't get enough of these miracles. So when Jesus arrived in Bethsaida, there were many people already there. They were waiting for him to minister to them. And what was the Lord's reaction to this large crowd of people in need of his ministry? Remember, he and his men were tired. They were worn out. They were weary. This is supposed to be a vacation. They're in need of rest. But Jesus, ever the teacher, took this situation as an opportunity to teach his apostles another key truth about being a servant. In addition to teaching them that you have to take some time off to rest, the Lord now gives them a second key truth about being a servant, and that is effective servants have compassion on people. Effective servants have compassion for people. Verse 11, 
it continues, and welcoming them, he began speaking to them about the kingdom of God and curing those who had need of healing. In spite of being exhausted, in spite of being in need of rest, Luke tells us that when Jesus saw this large crowd, thousands of people waiting for him on the shores of Bethsaida, instead of of turning them away because he and his disciples needed a break, remarkably, we read, he welcomed them. He welcomed them and he began to teach them about God's kingdom as well as start healing those who were in need of of his healing touch. And why did he do this? Knowing full well how tired he and his men were, why did he do this? Well, Luke doesn't tell us why, but Mark does. That's why this is wonderful that it's in four gospel accounts. Mark does. Here's what Mark says in chapter 6, verse 34. When Jesus went ashore, he saw a large crowd, and note this, and he felt compassion for them because they were like sheep without a shepherd and he began to teach them many things instead of giving into his feelings for a much needed break from from ministry instead of announcing to the crowd that he and his disciples had come there for some rest and quiet so that they should all go home and he'd see them at another time instead of doing that Jesus just began to minister to them again by teaching them And healing their illnesses. And he did this, Mark tells us, because he felt compassion for them. Although he knew, being God, he knows everything. He he knew that many of them were just thrill seekers. He knew that they weren't interested in hearing about the kingdom of God. Nevertheless, he taught them anyway because he cared about their souls. He knew what they really needed. And likewise, his compassion moved him to heal those who were ill because he cared about their physical well-being. He cared about their souls. He cared about their bodies. And so we read that it was compassion, compassion that drove the Lord to disregard his need for some R&R and to minister to this large crowd of people. So what exactly is compassion? We use that word a lot. We throw that word around a lot. But what, what does it actually mean? Well, the Greek word that's translated compassion literally means to be moved in one's intestines or bowels. And it's translated like that. That's what it literally means because ancient people considered this area of the body to be the seat of emotions, to be the seat of our feelings. And actually we hold to something similar to that today when we say something like, well, I have a gut feeling. That's the same thought. I have a gut feeling. So the thought here is that Jesus ached internally for these people. He was deeply moved in his emotions because he saw that the people were hurting and he wanted to simply help them. And he did help them by teaching them and healing their their diseases. Now the fact that Jesus didn't turn away these people when he had just told his disciples about the importance of taking a vacation and break from ministry, that is not a contradiction. Nor does it mean that Jesus was violating the very principle he wanted his disciples to to grasp, that there were times they needed to take some time off from the busy demands of serving others. You see, our Lord's willingness to work here in teaching and healing others, that does not negate the truth that taking a break from others is important. It is very important, critically important. But there is another important truth about effective service that has to balance out the one about getting some rest. This is the balance. 
although we all need to take some time off from the work of serving others, we don't always have the luxury of choosing the time we are going to rest and relax because compassion for others often drives us to meet their needs even when it is inconvenient for us. In other words, as important as it is to take recovery breaks from ministry, compassion for others dictates that at times we have to set aside our own desires and inclinations for a break because of the pressing needs of other people. And Jesus is the perfect example of what it means to be compassionate towards those in need. Folks, he is the epitome of compassion. If you want to know what compassion is, you look to Jesus. That's a wonderful truth. A wonderful attribute about our Lord, his compassion. See, he still has the same compassionate heart today when it comes to ministering to us in our hurts, in our pains, in our crises, in our sufferings, in our trials. He isn't cold. He isn't remote. He isn't uninterested. But he is compassionate and he is merciful. He's the same one who wept at the grave of Lazarus. He's the same one who wept over the coming judgment upon Jerusalem. He's the same one who the book of Hebrews says that he is touched with the feelings of our infirmities. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. In his nature, in his attributes, in his character, he never changes. And the same heart that felt compassion for the sick and the hurting people of Galilee still has compassion For you, when you're in pain, when you're suffering, and the reason that Christ has this heart of mercy and compassion is because he's God. And this is the way God is by nature. We read in 2 Corinthians 1, verses 3 and 4, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. That's even his name. He is the Father of mercies. He's the God of all comfort. Paul said, who comforts us in all our affliction. There isn't any affliction that you are going through where he's not there to comfort you. Now, I've already told you that for the most part, the people to whom Jesus was ministering to, they were just thrill seekers. They were just people looking for another miracle. But I want you to understand something more, to go a little bit deeper about the kind of people who were in that crowd that day. And Knowing this, you'll appreciate our Lord's compassion upon them even more. In John's account of this miracle of the feeding of the 5,000, he tells us more about the spiritual condition of the people to whom Jesus showed such remarkable compassion. John chapter 6, verses 14 and 15. Now this takes place, by the way, after he's fed them. This takes place after the feeding of the 5,000. Therefore, when the people saw the sign which he had performed, that's the feeding... They said, this is truly the prophet who's to come into the world. So Jesus, perceiving that they were intending to come and take him by force to make him king, withdrew again to the mountain by himself alone. Now what these verses reveal is that that the people that Jesus had so much compassion on, they were not spiritually minded. They had no interest in submitting themselves to his authority there were simply those who sought a miracle from him. And after experiencing the miracle of being fed, they were so impressed, so impressed with Christ that they wanted to take him by force and make him their political king. Now you may think, well, what's so bad about that? After all, after all, Jesus has presented himself as their king. So why withdraw from them 
when they wanted to make him their king? And the answer is simply because these folks were not interested in repenting of their sin. They were not interested in having a commitment to Christ's lordship over their lives. These people were only excited about his ability to give them free food. And they were just thrill seekers. But they weren't interested in entering Christ's kingdom by way of the narrow road of salvation. And how do we know this? Is this just speculation that I'm coming up with? No. Look at the end of the chapter, chapter 6. Notice verse 66 of this. This is after giving these folks a lesson on discipleship and what it means to really be committed to him and take him as the bread of life. Not just a free meal, but him as the bread of life. Notice these fickle followers. They're called disciples, but they're not true disciples. They're fickle followers. They show their true colors. Verse 66. As a result of this, many of his disciples, and you can put that in kind of quotes, withdrew and were not walking with him anymore. This is why we just sang that song earlier, Where Would We Go? You have the words of eternal life. That's because right after this, Jesus turned to the 12 and said, are you going to leave me too? And Peter, speaking for all of them, said, well, where would we go, Lord? You have the words of eternal life. But that's in the context of all these people just abandoning Christ. These so-called disciples were only interested in being physically healed, but they didn't want Jesus touching their hearts. They didn't want him dealing with their sins. And so they no longer took an interest in him. Now, folks, listen very carefully. This will give you great insight in what it means to be really compassionate like the Lord is really compassionate. Even before Jesus healed and fed these people, he knew exactly what they were like. He knew that they were selfish. He knew that they were interested only in what he could do for them physically without any concern for what he could do for them spiritually. And yet still, knowing all of this, he still had compassion towards them. So what does this tell us? about our Lord's compassion. And what does it tell us about the kind of compassion we should show others? It tells us that our compassion is to be directed towards others regardless of their spiritual condition. Jesus never made any requirements for those who would receive his mercy. That is to say, he never turned his compassionate heart away from those who were unbelievers and others who were unconcerned about being his disciples. He showed mercy to those who were self-centered, fickle, shallow, and uninterested in him or, or his kingdom. Why? Because that's the heart of a servant, to show compassion upon others, even when they brought their troubles, their own troubles upon themselves. Even when they've, they've created the problems by their own sinfulness. And that's precisely the truth that he was teaching his tired and weary disciples. And the truth he's teaching us. He wanted these men to learn by his example that you don't turn people away when they have pressing needs. Just because you're tired and you're exhausted and you're in need of some rest. And he wanted them to learn this lesson because he knew that these men did not have this perspective. Although they had been with Christ for some time and they had then given a, a glimpse of serving Christ, they still needed to learn about compassion from their master. And the reason I say this is because the apostles had this negative habit of sending people away from Christ because they saw them as an inconvenience, as a nuisance to the Lord. 
This is obvious from a number of biblical passages. For example, Matthew chapter 15, starting in verse 22. And a Canaanite woman from that region came out and began to cry out, saying, Have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. My daughter is cruelly demon-possessed. But he did not answer her a word, and his disciples came and implored him, saying, Send her away because she keeps shouting at us. The apostles had absolutely no compassion upon this poor Canaanite woman. It didn't matter to them that she was desperate, that she was a mother who had a demon-possessed daughter and she didn't know what to do. They just didn't care. And they wanted the Lord to send her away. To them, this woman was just a pest, an annoyance. They show no sensitivity to her, no thoughtfulness, no concern, no merciful heart of compassion. And listen, this wasn't the only time these men did this, that they tried to send people away from Jesus. In Matthew chapter 19, verses 13 and 14, we read, Then some children were brought to him, so that he might lay his hands on them and pray. And the disciples, the disciples rebuked them. And Jesus said, Let the children alone. And don't hinder them from coming to me, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. These men didn't even have tender hearts towards parents and their children. These parents, they weren't demanding of Jesus. They just asked him if he would put his hands upon them and pray for their children. That's a wonderful thing to do. But these men, they just didn't think the Lord could be bothered with such things. After all, these are just little kids and the master, the rabbi, the teacher, he's too busy to bless little kids. He's got more important things to do. But the Lord wasn't too busy. He didn't have more important things to do. He wasn't too busy to show his tender mercies to these parents and their children. And he wasn't insensitive to a desperate foreign woman. But his disciples were. These men were. And that's precisely why he now gives them this lesson here in Luke chapter 9 about how true servants are to have hearts of compassion. He wanted his men to understand that true servants have compassion upon others even when it's inconvenient for them. Even when it interferes with their time for rest or the people have no interest in spiritual matters. And therefore, folks, this is a very important lesson for all of us to understand about servanthood. Because many of us are far too similar to the apostles. We may be busy serving people, very active, very diligent, even very dedicated but sometimes we can perform our service without hearts that ache for the people that we're serving. But Jesus wasn't like that. He had a concern for people. His concern was so deep that his gut ached for them. And he would not allow his own need for rest to keep him from ministering to them. So what kind of a servant are you? Does your gut ache for people? Do you care about the people you serve? Does the pain of others and what they're going through, does it move you to minister to them? Even if they have no interest in spiritual truth, even if they brought this problem, this pain upon themselves by their own foolish behavior, that's probably gone on for years. You see, Jesus wanted his disciples to understand that his servants, yes, they, they need time to rest so they'll maintain strength in serving others. But he also wanted them to understand that compassion for others drives true servants to place their own desires, their own interests aside in order to meet the needs of those who are in need. Now we've been talking about being a servant 
of Christ. And if you're a Christian, you are a servant of Christ. You just need to be an effective servant of Christ. But if you don't know Jesus, then you're not his servant. Your greatest need is for his mercy and compassion upon you to forgive your sins. Your greatest need, whether you realize it or not, is the forgiveness of your sins. He will be merciful to you. He will forgive you if you will do what the Bible says, and that is repent of your sin, turn from your sin, recognize your sin, turn from it, and turn to Christ, falling upon his mercy, trusting him alone for your salvation. It was mercy and compassion that drove Jesus onward to the cross, where he died, paying the penalty of the sins of sinners. That's what he did for us. And he invites you, even commands you, to come to him And trust him for your salvation. If you would like to speak to one of our pastors about trusting Christ for salvation, then just see me as we close the service now. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this marvelous passage of Scripture. We thank you for the insight that your word gives us so that we can understand these things, Lord. I pray for everyone here who's very involved in serving you that they'll take heed to these truths, that they'll take a break and they'll know how to pace themselves and how to recover from ministry so that they come back stronger than ever. And Lord, I pray for those who are very involved in ministry that they also will learn that the time that they've chosen to take a break is not always the time you have for them to take a break, that that compassion will drive them to minister to others. Lord, may we be a church filled with compassionate souls who care about other people and are willing to give up our time, our energy, our need for a break just to minister. And Lord, I pray for those who are not involved in ministry, that they'll be convicted of their sin, that they'll be active, that they'll find a ministry, that they'll serve people, even if it's not an official program of the church, that they'll, that they'll be a part of using a church that encourages them to use their spiritual gifts to serve others. And Lord, we do pray for those who have never turned to you for salvation, that today might be the day of their salvation, that they would hear the Holy Spirit working in their hearts, drawing them to Christ, prodding them on, telling them they need salvation, and this is that day. All of this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.